I really should have like, in hindsight, positioned it in a way that you can't see Mason Mount on the back of my shirt in the mirror. I but... know, mate. Well, let's start with him. <laughs> let's start with him because everyone's going to be wanting. I've actually got, so some people, we'll get onto this in a minute. I haven't been very organized with this. I won't be honest. I won't lie to you, but some people have actually sent some questions through, um, some mm. topics they wanted to cover. But, mate, as you're wearing a Mount t-shirt, thoughts? I don't even know how to start, mate, to be honest. Like, when, when it was like a done, done, done deal, I was away on holiday and I was like purposefully not checking my phone. And I mm. was just like, I'll, I'll come back and pretend that it never happened. But yeah, I just can't believe it, mate. The way things transpired. I mean, the, the script was supposed to be that he was going to be, you know, a Chelsea legend, but. Mm. All those people that always said he's not a Chelsea fan, he's a Pompey fan. Maybe they had a point because he doesn't really seem to, uh, heart doesn't really seem to be anywhere near Stamford Bridge when push yeah. came to shove. Mm. See, I've got, I've got a slightly different viewpoint on, um, on Mount than a lot of fans, I think, because I never really bought into the hype. I never felt like he was going to be. I, I I saw the the hype in the early days, right? The, the obvious people that were hyping him up, and he obviously did very well in Derby at Derby under Lamps, and then he, his first season here was fantastic. And don't get me wrong, I think he's a good player. I really do, and I think on his day, I think he's a very good player. But for me, I I look at him, and then you know, like with the likes of say Kovacic and Jorginho, who we've just got rid of. And I just think, do I feel like these players are going to be the elite of the elite? Are they going to win us the title? And I personally don't feel like... I'm not that gutted he's left, to be honest. I would rather he didn't. But I also I never saw him as an exceptional player. And how old is he now? 24? Yeah, it's a tough one though, Dave, isn't it? Because he had a terrible, stinking season, as everyone did. So I don't know, like, you know, because the thought has crossed my mind about whether he was, whether he's such a big loss, you know, from a footballing standpoint. But he was our back-to-back player of the year, irrespective of whether you think that was, you know, merited or, or what. He, You know, he was a really great, important player for us who had a really bad season. So I feel like that, that's probably made things easier from a Chelsea standpoint to say goodbye that he's left on, on the back of such a bad season rather than one of his better ones. Mm. But here's a question for you, because you're more in the know than I am, but would he have left? Would we have let him leave had he had a good season? Would that have affected things? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. Clearly something has gone catastrophically wrong behind the scenes. Mm. Um, you know, it's just a matter of all parties blaming each other. And then you really don't know where the truth is. Because Chelsea will say, you know, Mount was offered a contract. He rejected it. He decided to move to Manchester United. We got the money. Job done. He'd probably have a different viewpoint on it. That he was offered a contract before the World Cup, which he was happy to agree to, agree to it verbally. Came back from the World Cup and that was off the table. And after that, all that was offered to him was a one-year extension with the club trying to buy themselves time. So, you know, whoever's fault it is, ultimately, 
it was an absolute mess, mm. which is reflect reflected in the fact that we sold him to Manchester United. But to be perfectly honest with you, for a player in the last year of his contract, we got a, a pretty penny for him. Yeah, you know, so it's what, no what disaster. Is the total fee? It's around sixty-five million pound, mm. like sixty. It's like fifty-five plus five or fifty-five plus ten, thereabouts. It's healthy, and considering that's pure book profit because he's academy produced, it's it's a healthy, healthy fee for a player who last season contributed very little, for a player who clearly didn't want to be here if he was pushing so hard to sign for one of our direct competitive rivals, right? It's, yeah. it's no disaster. It's just a shame. I, I just see it as a shame. Mate, I, I think that's a really good way to sum it up. It's not a disaster by any means. Um, it's not like we're losing pink Frank Lampard to, to Man United. <laughs> um I think, that's a, yeah, I think it's a really good way to sum it up. It's not a disaster. It's just a shame because of the fact that he came through the academy, because he was like, we were hoping he was going to be here for his career, basically, right? It all seemed like it was going to tee up like that. Um, but to yeah. go back to what I was saying earlier, like m my opinion of Mount, and, you know, he might have an exceptional career at Man United. And the sad thing as well, by the way, is he's going to go down probably more remembered as a Man United player now. Because he's probably, realistically, he's probably going to be at Man United now for the next six, seven years, which is a weird thing to think oh, about, yeah. isn't it? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's the same thing that happened with Juan Mata, isn't it? But on the flip side, Juan Mata made X amount more appearances for United. When people talk about Juan Mata in the years, the years to come, they're not going to talk about what he did at United. They're going to talk about what he did at Chelsea. Yeah. And that was just over a two-year stint. So, mm. I, don't, I don't know. Uh, it, it 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 really depends what he goes on to achieve, but listen, I've always looked at Mount through rose-tinted glasses. Uh, I'd be the first to admit that, and I've defended him in periods where probably, you know, I, I went slightly over the top with it, but it's the thing with Chelsea Twitter, though. It was, like, so divided down the middle where it just turned everyone into absolute extremists. Like, you couldn't just, like, quite like Mason Mount or, you know, slightly dislike him. You either, like, want him to be named Chelsea captain, build a statue, or you want the guy shipped off to, like, you know, Afghanistan. Like, there's, yeah. there's no middle ground. And it's, it's almost like it's nice that we don't have to deal with that anymore. Although I'm sure people will find something else to argue about. Yeah, well, what people will do is they'll... Everyone will team up now and everyone will be able to like everyone will be connected through their hatred of mount because especially if he like scores a goal against us or something as always in football, oh yeah you know fans move on very quickly emotionally and he'll go from i, I imagine the way it's going to go is like first appearance everyone claps him when he comes out sort of thing second appearance maybe he scores a goal gets assist against us third appearance he starts getting booed and then from then on we're just completely indifferent to him but I think that's, that's my... the point, though. Do, do you actually think he's going to get a good reception first time he, let's say, first time he comes back to the bridge? I think we're quite good with that as fans. I think we're quite. Mm. I think our fans are usually quite respectful of of previous players. Um, I, I the way I the honestly see, it, I think what will probably happen is that, that there's obviously more to come out of this as well, and. You know, every, a lot of the journos are saying, like, 
there's more to this story. The truth will come out. You know, we're hearing two sides of the story. Chelsea are obviously saying, well, you know, we offered him. I mean, I mean, let's just, let's just summarize what the, what the situation actually is then. So my understanding of it, right, as someone who's sort of been following it quite passively, because frankly, I just got sick of it. But my understanding is basically he was happy to stay. Mm. He got offered... A lot. Of, he wanted a big pay rise because he's, he's underpaid by his own valuation, right? Fair enough. Yeah, he probably is because I know our structure is a bit all over the place. He got offered a good amount of money. I, I, I believe off the top of my head, it was like 250K or something, right? It was a good amount of money, right? Yeah. And yeah. he was like, yeah, that's good. You know, happy with that. And then we offered him like X amount of years, whatever. He goes away, comes back, and we say, actually, you know, we, we don't want to offer you that, but you can have it you know, on a, on a year extension or whatever you said, and then um, we'll, you know, reconsider. And he then wasn't happy with that. Um, and yeah, so, so so can you sort of summarise what you know? I mean, mate, if, if you're, irrespective of whether he's a childhood Chelsea fan, right, you come through the academy at a club, you... You work your way into the first team. You work under your absolute hero. You win the Champions League under Thomas Tuchel and you get offered a healthy long-term contract. You, you're going to be content. There's there's nothing that would suggest at that point in time that Mason Mount wants to leave Chelsea, let alone move to Man United, let alone force his way out of the club and sign for United. Something happened in between you know, the start of the World Cup and the end of it, in which clearly, whether it's Paul Winstanley or someone else at the club, tore up the whole wage structure, decided that whatever was offered to Mount was now outdated, they weren't going to honour it. Mm. If that club then turns around and gives you a one-year extension, offering you absolutely no assurances over your future, you know, we know what football's like. Mount could have a serious injury. He could have a, another bad season, at which point it's not the Uniteds that are interested in him. It's the Villas and the Brightons and the West Hams. Yeah. That's, the, that's the reality if he were to have another bad year. So from a footballing standpoint, you can completely understand why he wanted to leave. You know, we're, tribalism is obviously massive in football. We like to think that those who come through the academy in particular absolutely bleed blue and you know, would never want to wrong us, right? Mm. Reality is, it's a profession. It's a profession. And, you know, you're a recruiter yourself. Like, I'm sure you can look at it objectively and see why he was left with very little option but to move from a professional standpoint, from a career standpoint. Mm. Yeah. I, the thing is, like, I, I, think, I think it's like a... People seem to want to go to the extremes, like you mentioned, like on Twitter, right, where we where we live and we get our football news and, and conversation. And it's either, you know, it's all it's Chelsea's fault, Chelsea fucked Mount over, whatever, or it's, you know, Mount's a traitor. And I don't, I think it sits somewhere in the grey area, if I'm honest. Like, I think, I think, look, Mount clearly, I think if you're, if you're desperate to stay at a club, like, you absolutely love the club, you don't leave. It's very simple. You don't leave. Now, yeah obviously you know you have to be valued and that sort of thing but at the end of the day if you if you bleed blue you're gonna stay or you're gonna find there there would have been some sort of agreement to be made i think the reality is it's like mount 
wanted to stay. He wasn't desperate to stay in, in terms of like he's not going to make financial sacrifices, but he's you know he's he's happy happy to stay, keen to stay. But he also, like you said, for whatever reason, he felt a bit slighted by the board. There was internal uh, arguments or whatever. For whatever reason, he obviously wasn't happy at the club. Man United are coming for an offer. You know, big team. They're building something. I, I, I think we just have to accept that Mount isn't, you know, he's not like John Terry. He's not, de- he, JT, I, I do generally feel like someone yeah. like JT would have stayed even if it meant he wasn't top earner or something. Because he, cause it, cause the love for Chelsea outweighs him earning an extra 50 grand a week. But Mount, I just don't think that's yeah. there. And um, did you see that video with his dad in, and his dad in the Old Trafford dressing room, I think it was? fucking weird mate honestly what was that all about? so weird like i know i know and just like you know it just makes it just it goes to show that you just never know with these players do you you know they could have been sat eating their steak and kidney pie over dinner dreaming of manchester united days after he broke into the chelsea first team made his debut like oh this is a great stepping stone to get ourselves yeah. you just you just don't know you don't know and, you know, it says it all that there's been such a exodus this summer of players. Players have jumped at the opportunity to get out of here. It's probably half the reason we were so toilet last year because no yep. one wanted to be here. And whether it's Mount, whether it's Havertz, whether it's Kovacic, whether it's anyone else, like, if you, if you don't want to be at the club, just go, honestly. Could not give it a shit. Like, close your door on the, on the, on the way out because this club will um, move on and hopefully go on to bigger and better things than 12th place. Uh, I think uh, the top half finish is within reach this year. So, um, yeah. It's about as mental to say. <laughs> this is it, mate. Like, I was saying that me and you ain't chatted properly in a while. It's because the, the bulk of our conversations centre around Chelsea. No one wants to talk about Chelsea at the moment. Like, throughout last season, I avoided the subject topic like the plague. Yeah, it's uh, so I remember, I very, very vividly remember, and I can't believe time's passed, but we had a. I remember being on the phone to you, I think, in summer 2017. We just won the league under Conte. Everything was looking good. We just won the, um, set the win records. And we both said, like, this is a really key point in our history because we've got a class manager, we've got a good squad. If we build on it, you know, we're in a situation where we could actually dominate for the next few years and build like a future. And obviously, you know, what happened was a complete opposite, which is what we we sort of predicted would happen because we're Chelsea and we just, for every, whatever reason, we just don't seem to have an intelligent long-term strategy. Um, mm. But last season, mate, it was just horrendous. Like, I tell you, my, my biggest high point was Lampard got the job. I remember standing in my kitchen yeah. because obviously two... Tuchel, actually, do you know what? What do you think of Tuchel? Is it Tuchel or Tuchel? It's Tuchel. Tuchel, to the best right. of my knowledge, but German's not one of my, um, you know, areas of expertise. But I think it's Tuchel. Yeah. So, what do you think of Tuchel's reign? It's a weird one, isn't it? Because you know, irrespective of whether you thought we were going in the right direction with him, I know they're were concerns tactically about his Tadden ID 
as they like to put it, to coin a phrase. Um, and just ultimately in the background, whether he was able to keep a whole dressing room happy, because he clearly wasn't able to do that at PSG, had issues mm. at Dortmund prior. You know, the, the guy is obviously slightly combative, maybe not so easy to work with. From a footballing standpoint, it's a bit of a mixed bag, to be honest with you. Because that year we won the Champions League, we scraped top four. We were so fortunate to get in there. Um, but in the Champions League, we were as good as any Chelsea team I've seen, you know, over the past 10 years, plus even. We were just a different beast. And it, you know, it, it's not such a good sign when, let's say, heading into um, the start of, well, I suppose it would be the start of the season before last, when we signed Lukaku after we won the Champions League. And the presumption was that we were going to go and challenge for the title. Obviously, things didn't quite transpire that way. But the assumption was we were going to, you know, be in it for the long run. I think it became pretty apparent that Tuchel's the kind of manager that can motivate a team for one-off games. But whatever he's doing behind the scenes is not sustainable over the course of a season. Mm. Yeah. How's he getting on at um, Bayern? How did he finish the season? I mean, he, he's, he he monumentally fucked it up, to be honest. Like, he, he got them knocked out of virtually every competition that they were, they were still in. And um, if not for the annual Borussia Dortmund bottle on the last day, he, he wouldn't have won the league either. That would have been Bayern's run of Bundesliga titles over. So, you know, it, it, it isn't, he's not going to be going anywhere, but... The absolute car crash into the season was arguably a sackable offence. Yeah, you know we had all these people on, particularly on Twitter, um, talking about how, you know, Tuchel was the one for us, and then we got rid of him, and it was a terrible decision by Bowley or, or, or whatever. But maybe it was just kind of slightly justified by him walking back into not just any job, but what is objectively one of the easiest jobs in world football, managing Bayern Munich and trying to win the Bundesliga and coming this close to absolutely messing it up. It slightly justifies, mm. you know, maybe maybe Bowley saw something that, that we missed. But to be honest, you can't forget a Champions League win, but the rest of his tenure was mostly forgettable. You talk about domestic cup final defeats as well. Um and when we had bad days, we had really bad days. It would be mostly forgettable if he didn't win the Champions League, which makes it a bit of an enigma, to be honest. Yeah, I'm... Um, you're going to think I'm an idiot here, but I actually really... I and didn't enjoy... <laughs> I, I actually didn't enjoy, and I don't look back as that Champions League win as big as, like, half as big as 2012. And... Um, I don't know if it was like because of COVID and everything, but also maybe because I think in my mind, similar to the Liverpool title win as well, even though they'd sort of already won it, because there was no crowds and mm. stuff. I can't remember. I think it was up until what, the semi? and I think even the final didn't have a full crowd. But for some reason, there's something in me that's like, it just wasn't the same as the 2012 one. It's not that it wasn't a real Champions League win, but I don't, I don't, 2012 was magical. And, you know, every time I think of it, I get like um, goosebumps. 20, 
21. I don't know what it is. I just, I don't look back on it as the same t- type of achievement. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But Tuchel, like, I really like Tuchel as a manager. Shouldn't have been sacked. Um, all the issues you've raised are completely valid. And look, you know, let's see what happens at Bayern, but it's not started very well. Everything seems to end in a car crash. Um, but mm. at the time, look, I really liked him. Um, absolutely not perfect at all. The football at times was dire. But again, looking back over the last few years, Conte had the same issues, that sort of thing. I think it's probably a deep-rooted mentality problem with with the players that we've had over the last few years. Um, but you don't swap Tuchel out for Graham Potter. In any situation. No, I <laughs> yeah, and I think that that was half the issue in terms of, you know, there's there's been so many top, top managers sacked by Chelsea over the years, most of which were widely adored in the fan base. But we just cracked on with it and they became distant memories because we appointed someone else and we carried on winning. But for the club to have sacked Thomas Tuchel who won us the Champions League and then appointed Graham Potter. To be honest, it, it is, there is slight revisionism with Potter because the way he'd started the season with Brighton, he was the most coveted manager in English football. You think if any of the top six changed manager at that point in time, they would have been after Potter. Whether they would have been silly enough to pay the amount of compensation we did to Brighton is another matter. But at that point in time, Potter was hot property, which is mad to think now because the guy looks like a circus act on the back of, you know, mm. the, the the state he left us in. But I, I just think Chelsea, we we love we love to win. Needless to say, but the fans just love a winner. They love someone that they can really buy into. And I just never really bought into Potter. It was like just you know watching his press conferences. It, it's like being at like a family gathering and chatting to your uncle. Like, yeah, it, it just it, it wasn't it wasn't very like inspiring. It was just strange. Um, but even though Pochettino, you know, barring his his PSG achievements, his his trophy cabinet's bare. You just kind of buy into him a bit more. I don't know what it is. I, I don't know if if we are as just simple and, and fickle as you know. Look at this Argentinian man coming over with his suave accent and this and that and his you know intricate kind of football and tactics and suddenly we just have full confidence in the bloke but just buy into Pochettino in a way and never could have in you know with Potter yeah well look I think so I think Chelsea fan base uh not unique but we're quite different in a way and I think this all goes back to Jose Mourinho because I think mm. we've actually been completely spoiled. And we got spoiled early on, oh, right? Yeah. So we had we had Ranieri. I really liked Ranieri, by the way. Um, and uh, obviously we swapped him out for Mourinho. We had Mourinho's peak years. Mourinho at that time was the complete package. And then since then, we've, we've had really charismatic, driven, controversial, argumentative managers. And I think because we had it so good with Jose twice... Well, maybe not. Well, maybe not so on the second stint. I I know me and you were absolutely devastated when we left in the second stint. But we, I think that you have to be more than a good manager to be a Chelsea manager. 
I think you have mm. to, like you said, you have to be very charismatic. You have to be inspiring. You have to have a winner's edge because Graham Potter, I think even if he was successful, I don't think the fans have ever really bought into him. Even if he was winning, I just felt no. like the fans no. were like, we're a certain, consider Chelsea fans' background and that sort of thing as well. I think we like certain personalities and for a manager to come out and be like, keep saying, you know, it is what it is. Um, you know, that's just the way the game goes sometimes. It's not what we want. We want someone to come yeah. out and fucking stick yeah. the dagger in sometimes. So, yeah, I think that's he something just didn't that Pochettino... Sorry, but I, I think that's something Pochettino, um, he brings. But also, I think there is an aspect of like, you know, how was he like on the touchline? Does he wear a suit? Um, that sort of stuff as well. The The sort of non-tangibles that... Uh, outside of football management, and and yes, it helps if they play good football, and looks like Pochettino could be the answer to that finally. Because fucking hell, like how long have we been waiting for a manager who actually plays attractive football at Chelsea? Like it's been pretty hit and miss over the last fifteen years. Massively, and I have to say, you know, effective or not, and it's brought us a lot of success. I'm sick to the back teeth of us playing with a back three, back five, whatever you'd like to call it. Just the the prospect of playing four two three one or something similar. I know it's so silly, but it's just so much more exciting to me than having three centre backs on the pitch at all times. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. No, I, t- I totally agree, mate. I totally agree. It's um, I don't know why. I know we sort of. We sort of built a a system that we were almost struggling to get out of in a way, um, and it doesn't help that Thiago Silva is like you know our best centre back. The last you know, the, yeah. Um, how long has he been with us now? Two years. Uh, I suppose this will be his third, fourth year. I feel like he third joined. Year. Did he join in the summer fourth of Jan? Year. He joined in the summer of twenty twenty. Yeah, 2020. Yeah, 2020, 2021. This would be his third season. This so would be his... He's, um... That's nuts also, you know. I only assumed we'd get a year out of him, and that would have been great. To be honest, it, the, just the prospect of having Thiago Silva put on a Chelsea show, if he played one game and done his ACL, I would have enjoyed that. <laughs> you know, to, to get this this amount, of, um, this amount of service out of a guy who's almost bloody 40 is nuts. And yeah, yeah, he might tail off now and he might struggle without the protection of being in a back three. You know what? 90 Argo Silver, I wouldn't be surprised if he ended next season as our player of the season. He's just that kind of guy. Yeah, he turns 40 next September. Not, ne- not next September, 2024 September. But yeah, it is mad, mate. It is mad. It's like he's been... It's a double-edged sword, really, because it's like he shouldn't be our best centre-back, arguably, but he is uh, almost <laughs> 39, which says a lot about the club, yeah. um, which is also weird because, you know, we got Fafana. I-, I haven't bought into Fafana at all personally, and I know he's obviously just had a really serious injury, which could, you know, ruin his Chelsea career, really. Um, but we are, yeah, we, sh- we shouldn't be in that situation. But then having Thiago Silva as our best centre-back, you know, can he play in a four? Well, I think a lot of people are on the fence on that because, you know, in a, in a, in a three or a five, whatever you want to call it, it's, you know, he has protection. So 
yeah, mate, honestly, the prospect of just fucking getting into a different formation, a different system that doesn't just resort to having five, six, seven players behind the ball. Um, I, do you know what I think? I think a lot of Chelsea fans, they would take top six this coming season. Ideally, obviously, top four. I think we will get top four because we're not in the Champions League. But I think I think they take top six with attractive football where we actually look forward to watching games. Because last season, I'm not ashamed to say it, I, I it felt like Chelsea. You know when you like you, you wake up and you're like, oh fuck, I've got to clean. You know, I've got to do some hoovering. That's what I felt like watching Chelsea. Like, oh fuck, Chelsea are on today. I've got to sit through I get you. ninety minutes of dross. And um, there was a little peak of excitement when Lampard took over where I was a bit deluded and I was like, he's going to come in, he's passion, you know, sort shit out. I think it was Ashley Cole's woman as well. And like, you know, now yeah. we always, as fans, we're so stupid sometimes because we're like, just get a manager in who's going to like beast them and, you know, sort their shit out and that'll motivate them. Obviously it doesn't work like that. Mm. But, mate, fucking hell. What a shit season it was. Jesus Christ. Uh, to be honest, I was very much with you in that. I thought Lampard was absolutely exactly what we needed at that point in time. It's like an undeniably talented squad of players, but just largely uninterested. And from my perspective, you put Frank Lampard, Ashley Cole in that dressing room, they're not going to accept that these players can not give a shit or not mm. respect them or this and that. We were arguably worse under Lampard than we were under Potter. It just like, it, it became so miserably predictable in that it didn't matter who we were playing, whether they were top of the league or bottom of the league, you just knew we were going to lose. Irrespective yeah. of whether it was at home, whatever, you just knew we were going to drop points. There was a period in time where I was legitimately worried about relegation because I'm looking at the fixture list and I'm thinking, <laughs> where, where, where are the remaining points going to come from? You know, if, if we can't yeah. beat likes of Nottingham Forest, etc., where where would the points come from? And I mean... Lampard kept us up. That's that's as far as the the history books reflect. He he came in in a transfer ban and got us top four, and then in our hour of need, swooped in and saved us from relegation. And you know he'll go down as one of the greatest managers in our history. <laughs> yeah, it's. What do you think of Lampard as a manager, honestly? Shit. Really. And it 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 kills me to say that, mate, because like he done well at Derby, and that first season here I, I there's no doubt in that what what he achieved was impressive to lose hazard not be able to sign any players barkovic um blood the youth and still get top four really quite impressive at the same time our, our defense was absolutely shambolic that year there, there's there, there was no real coaching going on and that was pretty clear it was just kind of like vibes like it's like when I used to manage a Sunday league football team and it's like, right, here are your positions. Work hard, you know, play hard, get stuck in, have fun, do it with a smile on your face. It was like, literally one of them. But, mate, like Everton, terrible. Chelsea again, terrible. I think he's had a pretty hard time with it in terms of his last two roles. Like Everton's an impossible job, impossible club to manage, let alone like from a football standpoint. And he, he he ran into a burning building covered in diesel, like taking over Chelsea from Potter. Um, but it, it, I think he thought it was going to propel him back to the top where he could be in the running 
for jobs in the Premier League or even the permanent Chelsea role. So he could never say no to it, right? At the same time, you're now thinking, would a championship club take him on? They probably will. Someone might be silly enough, but pains me to say it, mate, but he's, he's a terrible manager, in my opinion, anyway. I'm not quite as extreme as you. I think most people agree with you, by the way. Um, and I've had many an argument on Twitter about this. Here's, here's my honest opinion, right? And like emotion out the window, obviously, we love, we love Lamps. He'll always be a Chelsea legend. Um, you know, we love him to pieces. And it wouldn't surprise me if he's back manager one day, to be honest with you. But here's my honest opinion of him, right? So he did, he did well at Derby. Um, you know, not exceptional, but he did well. Um, I think, he, didn't he take him to the playoff final and lose? Is that right? He did. He did, yeah. Yeah, cool. So he did well at Derby, developed Mount really well. Cool. Nice one. Gets a job at Chelsea. Context, guys. He takes over one of the hardest jobs in world football, arguably one of the hardest jobs in sport, managerial-wise. In his second year in a job, he's only going into his second year of management, right? And like you said, it's one of the hardest it's one of the hardest jobs in one of the hardest situations after a transfer ban, after losing Eden Hazard, who we knew would be a big loss, and it turns out is is probably twice as big of a loss as we thought it would be anyway, right? Because he's you know mm. he's such he was doing so much for the club. Um he comes in, the football the fo- the football was erratic, I think is a is a good way to to play it. I think we actually played some of our best football, you know, att- attacking football attractiveness-wise under Morris and Lampard. Like, the Super Cup against Liverpool comes to mind. We played some really good football. The way we moved the ball we around did. sometimes in the first half of the season, it was awesome. It's exactly where I want Chelsea to be. You know, pick the ball up, touch pass, touch pass. That's what we need to get to. Hopefully, we'll, we do on the potch. But anyway, you know, someone raised it to me. Um, there's a guy called... Uh, uh, Agent Cody Banks on Twitter. I've been he's been there since like 2012. He's a Man United fan. Um, it's called Ben, and I, we always have arguments because he's he's Man United. He's a big Pogba fan, whatever. But he was sent to me the other day. He said because I gave this argument to him, and he said, "Well, hang on a minute. You know, you finished fourth from like the lowest point someone has ever finished fourth or something in the Premier League, right?" So I was like, "Okay, cool." But you, the, the, yes, you, I get where you're coming from. We were like the worst four finish, but at the same time we finished fourth. Like you, you can't, you can only judge on mm. judge him on the season that he had. And considering the situation, it was very difficult, right? So, you know, on on the face of it, you you finished top four under the circumstances. That's an excellent achievement. But considering the season, it was a much easier season to finish fourth, probably in hit Premier League history. Okay, cool. It wasn't as big of achievement. He still did it. Getting top four with that team is is a, is a good achievement, right? So I, I consider his first season quite a big success, and. He also bedded in young players, you know, young players that we ended up either getting a lot of money for or, you know, they're, they're still here now or whatever. So first season, great. Good season at Derby. Good season at Chelsea. Goes into the second season, gets loads of big players, yeah? At the time, we thought he was failing massively, not u- utilising the talent he had. In hindsight, was yeah. the talent he had actually any good? You know, the likes of... Mm. Kovacic, Jorginho, Kai Havertz was meant to be a world beater. In my opinion, he's an absolute happy Timo shit. Werner. Timo Werner was meant to be, like, fantastic, and he started really well and then was an absolute hack of shit. Um, all these players that we bought, and I think Kante was, that's when his injury problems started as well. 
he went on a 16 game unbeaten run. It wasn't a very impressive unbeaten run, but it was an unbeaten run. And um, and then we had a few bad games. I think we lost. We had an awful game against West Brom, and then a couple of games later, he was fired. I think. Um, but at the time, I didn't think he should have been sacked. I, f- I felt he needed more time. And then he's gone to Everton. He's kept them up. A lot of Evertonian thinks he did a very good job in keeping them up. And then he had a, a you know a pretty poor time after that. But again, very difficult yeah. situation. Would other clubs would have? I mean, Ancelotti failed at Everton, didn't he? Do you know what I mean? So. There's that. Um, and then coming back into Chelsea, you know, again, in hindsight, it looks like a lot of our players probably down tools months ago because they've all gone. They obviously didn't mm. want to be here. Kai Havertz was out the door, you know, as quick as he possibly could. Mason Mount, you, you've got, you know, and then you've got the dressing room atmosphere and stuff. So anyway, I suppose in summary, is Frank Lampard a world-class manager? No, he's fairly still fairly new to the game. He's only a few years in. Um, and I think... I think a lot of people want to forget, seem to forget the good stuff he's done, as well as you know the the awful times he's had. I certainly don't believe that he's the worst Premier League manager ever, which is a lot of people think. No, I mean he's not as bad as Steven Gerrard, so that's one <laughs> thing, right? <laughs> we we can take that. Um, I mean, to, to be honest, Matt, it's probably pretty fair, pretty balanced. Guy's had a rough time of it. He just needs to take some more time out of the game and then go get himself an unproblematic job at an unproblematic club and just build up his reputation again. But, you know, I, I, the sad part is that I legitimately think he ha- he thought he had a chance of being the permanent Chelsea boss, which is sad from my perspective anyway. That he See, I'm... I'm very much a romantic in the sense that I wouldn't have complained if they gave him the fucking job anyway, even though it would have made absolutely no sense from a strategy perspective. I I, I would have enjoyed it. Nevertheless, I would have been there pumping out my super Frank in the same way that I would have taken Mourinho back in the summer without even blinking. I would have taken Mourinho back for round three and I still would. Interesting. Okay. St- Why? I still would. <laughs> I, I just, I think it's been overplayed, this kind of demise of Mourinho, right? So, you know, he had a bad season at Chelsea. No, no one can deny that. We finished 10th. We had a serious amount of injury issues and there were some problems behind the scenes. Fine, that was done. He won the Premier League the year prior, so... If your argument is because of that season, he's a bad manager. Well, a few months prior, he was literally lifting the Premier League trophy. So that, that argument doesn't really flow with me. Goes to United. They finished second. He did a great job at United. You know, the, the problem with Mourinho is that where he, particularly in the public eye, in interviews to the press, to the media, can kind of have a a visible breakdown and become so kind of bitter and snappy and just a little bit disgruntled, it kind of, it just escalates the whole situation, whatever's going on. And every single kind of, you know, footballing misdemeanor on the pitch just becomes amplified. From a footballing standpoint, Mourinho, 
I don't see why he can't still be the manager that he was. I know football's moved on. He's doing a great job with Roma. Tottenham, I mean, you saw what happened with Conte. That's another job. To be honest, that would be a great job for Lampard because that seems to be another impossible Please, no, task to try and manage Tottenham Hotspur. No, I don't think he wouldn't. His name's not Mason Mount. He wouldn't do that to us. But I would, even just from a purely romantic standpoint, I'd love to have Jose back. I absolutely love it. He belongs here anyway. Jose Mourinho's Chelsea. Just sounds so, right to me. Uh, I um, I love Jose. I didn't want him sacked in 2015. I thought he was, you know, I thought I thought it was a bit of a joke. It was it was a weird situation because 2015, the 2014 15 season, it was we started so well. I remember it so vividly. Um, we were playing. I remember reading an article where we were described as a mixture of um, Barcelona and Bayern hybrid because we had Fabregas, Nemanja Matic, when Matic was, um, you know, at the time, we thought he was going to become, you know, one of the, the world's best defensive midfielders. Um, but it turns mm. out he was just probably a purple patch. Um so we had him and Fabregas. We had De Costa up front. You know, Hazard. It was all looking fantastic, and we were playing. We we could, you know we could out we could overpower teams, but we'd also play fantastic football. And everyone, you know, Jose had pretty much made a big song and dance about the fact that he was, you know, and he's now making more of an effort to be an attacking manager. Right? I remember all this. Mm. And then we got smashed by Spurs. Harry Kane, I think, maybe scored a hat trick or something. Um, and. He just shut up shop, and Eden Hazard basically dragged us to the title that season. Um, but the football was dire for like two and a half months. We it was just like I think it was just like one nils and stuff, two ones. It was crap. I don't know what happened. Jose seemed to like get a bit scared, and you know, just be like go back to his old ways. And it was a shame because we were playing such good football. Um, but yeah, anyway, you know, we won the title. Fair enough, it worked. You could you could justify it that way, you know. And then I remember me and you chatting at the time because um, that's the summer we signed Falcao, I think, isn't it? So mm. we were – we obviously had an awful preseason. Jose's obviously come out and Ivanovic has come out and all the other players come out and said, yeah, we all got massively complacent. But, yeah, I don't think he should have been sacked, basically. United, yeah, in hindsight, you know, he said, he said one of my career highlights is actually getting Man United to second because we ran City so close. Um, with that team, which actually, in hind again, hindsight's a wonderful thing, but that team actually turned out to be dog shit. So he overachieved with that team. Yeah, mm. you know, fair enough. Um, Spurs is Spurs, similar to Lampard. I, I, I'm not going to blame him for anything that happens at Spurs. I think it's a mess of a club from from top to bottom. I think you could stick fucking peak Alex Ferguson in there, and he still wouldn't win the title of him. And then, um, you know, he's doing pretty well at Rome. I'm just looking at the stats now, so... So I, I remember they were in contention for top four. They finished sixth from 63 points. Milan got 70, and he won the UEFA Conference League. Is that right? Well, he did last season reach the Europa League final this year. Sadly, oh, Europa, this, didn't win this that. Season. This season, he was in the Europa League final, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah okay, so I've got those mixed I up. I mean, he's just got that European pedigree as well, isn't he? Like, you know. Mourinho in Europe is just 
a different animal. But mm. I don't know, mate. Again, from a footballing standpoint, from a long-term strategy perspective, it makes absolutely no sense us bringing Mourinho back. But football's all about romance. And I would like to, before he... Um, he hangs up his notebook. I would like to see him back for a third stint, even in an interim basis. Why not? What's the worst that could happen? You know, it, it's not as if there's going to be any shortage of managerial changes around here, is it? His opportunity is going to have to come eventually. He just needs to keep building his stock. Well, th this is the thing, mate. This is the thing. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens because how old is Mourinho? Let's have a look. So Mourinho, I'm going to guess 57. He's got to be pushing on 60 now, isn't he? He's got to be pushing on 60. Okay, Mourinho is 60, believe it or not. So he's, um, I don't think he's going to go, unless he dies, he's not going to go anywhere anytime soon, I don't think. I, I can see him in football still in <laughs> seven, eight years, right? So, yeah. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I, I think... I think it really depends what happens with Poch, mate, because if, if Poch comes in and it's a car crash, I don't know where we go, if I'm totally honest. We've used up pretty much any good manager in, in, in the world. And um, I, I, just, I honestly don't know where we go. John Terry maybe in a couple of years, but yeah, it's it's one of those, mate, where I think it's going to be interesting to see what he does. It's going to be interesting to see what he does because he's done a decent job at Roma. Um, maybe it's got his hunger back again, taking that step down top from a, a club that's always expecting to win the league and um you know who knows you know he might he might do something amazing at Roma and suddenly he's an in-demand manager again but I don't know what do, what do you see then for the next next season like what are you thinking of the signings we've made um you know what do you think is going to happen under Poch it's a tough one mate isn't it because We've sold so many players, so many players that, you know, irrespective of whether they were starting week in, week out, they had key roles in the team last season. They're now no longer here. So it, it's going to be a new look team, um, even if we weren't to sign anyone else, which kind of makes it slightly difficult to predict how we're going to do. And Kunku, I think, is obviously a top, top signing. We, and, you know, People are very quick to to diss the board. I'm one of them um, for good reason as well. You know, it has been a bit of a, a mess over the past year or so. But then wrapping up in Kunku ahead of time was a masterstroke because the amount of clubs that would have been in for him this summer, I mean, you can absolutely 100% guarantee he'd be off to Real Madrid this summer if we hadn't already tied that deal up watertight back in January. Um, so that's great. Beyond that, it's kind of difficult to talk to talk about anyone in particular because the, the current recruitment strategy is clearly to sign young, talented players with a high ceiling. But whether that's to have an immediate impact in the team remains to be seen. We signed Malagusto from Lyon um, as cover for Rhys James. Well, cover for Rhys James will probably make the most appearances out of every Chelsea player lot next season because... <laughs> <laughs> um, and then we have players like Andre Santos, Cassade coming in. And you think very, very highly rated young players. Do we trust any other club to look after them? Or would we be better off just plugging holes in the squad with them and accepting that 
you know, I know you think we'll get in the top four. From my perspective, if we finish in the top six, that would be a great first step for us. After what's happened last year, and we've had so many false transition periods over the years, this is a real transition. Pochettino is gutting the squad and he's making it his own. But these things don't happen overnight. Um, but it's a tough one. We need to get um, Caicedo signed and sealed as soon as possible, obviously, because we've sold nearly the entirety of our midfield and recruited thus far, well, nobody. Um, so we need to get what, that what done. Do you, so as someone, I'll be totally honest with you, I haven't seen much of him. Um, I know he's highly rated and I've only seen as much as mm. like any, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm not one of those people who loads up a Brighton stream every Saturday and watches Casado on my fucking player cam or claims to, but how would you <laughs> describe him to someone who, um, who's, who's never seen him? Like who, who would you compare him to? Well, he's not a holding midfielder. He's a player that plays in the pivot with serious, serious technical ability an expansive passing range, moves well with the ball, break-up play. He does look like he'd complement Enzo Fernandez really quite well, but it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. He's still very young. You know, Chelsea were interested in signing him before Brighton did. Manchester United came close to signing him before Brighton did. And he moved to Brighton ultimately for a measly something like five million quid. And now we're talking about the prospect of paying 80 to 100 million pounds for him. So we'd have to be sure. We'd have to be absolutely 100% sure that he's the guy. And that clearly has Pochettino sign off because the season's fast approaching. We desperately need a midfielder and we haven't abandoned our pursuit of him in search of a more easily obtainable alternative. We're very much committed to finding a breakthrough in these talks with Brighton, getting the deal done and pairing him with Enzo Fernandez in the midfield. But yeah. as I said, time is very much of the essence now and Brighton are absolute dickheads in terms of negotiating. And rightly so, rightly so. We stole their manager, we sold their, their player of the season. We stole half their technical staff, all of their coaching staff. If I were them, I would hold a grudge and I wouldn't be giving us any discounts. At the same time, player wants to leave. Serious amounts of money being dangled under their nose. I think it's only a matter of time. I'd like to think it's only a matter of time. Personal terms are done anyway, so. Yeah, well, I, th I, th I think, you know, in, in this day and age of WhatsApp and stuff, I don't think it's very hard to agree personal terms nowadays with the players, but. No, it... you just send a figure and you just get a thumb or a thumbs yeah, down. Yeah, like, yeah, that would do. This, this is the thing. This is, this is what I don't understand. You see, like, our, you know, they're, they're discussing personal terms. It's like, fuck off. How hard is it in 2023 to just, you know, get hold of the player off the record and be like, if we put in a bid, would you join if we offered you X? Yeah. I think it's, I think all that stuff is just like Sky Sports running through their structure. Oh, they're, you know, they're doing their whatever and they've offered the contract. They're, they're looking at the contract. I don't think it works like that at all behind the scenes, but I think, I mean, 
I really like Enzo Fernandez. I, I don't think we've seen half of what we could have seen because he was he was surrounded oh, no. by idiots last season. Um, and he was the only player that actually looked like he could play football to a competent level last season at times. So the prospect of having a, you know, I'm just going by everyone's opinion, really, um, of this 21-year-old, you know, fantastic partner to Enzo Fernandez and having a £200 million pivot, you know, and then to, to support the likes of Nkuku, Jackson, who looks pretty good, Mudrick, who I really like the look of, we could be seeing a completely new Chelsea. And then if we have um, Pochettino over the next few years, he does seem like the type of manager who would stick around for the next four or five years. I mean, if you can put up with Spurs yeah, he, for several he, years. He didn't, want to, he didn't want to leave Spurs. He didn't want to leave Spurs. He, you know, there's, there's an argument to make that he could still be there if he wasn't sacked. So there's no there's no reason to think that we wouldn't have a manager for the long term here. Yeah. So I I'm really excited about it, and I, I think we're like you, mate. I think we'll get him. You know, the money they're chucking around. They've rejected seventy. I think they've asked for a hundred. They're just playing hardball. There's loads of time as well. It's probably going to go down to the last week or so, and we'll we'll get him for like eighty five million or something. Um, mm. You know, which is, nowadays, if he is that good, he's 21 and we have, you know, have him for the next five or six years. It's well, money well spent, in my opinion. But um, let's see what happens. It's, I mean, like you said, you know, we've lost so many players. But the players we've lost, mate, I'm, apart from Mount, I'm super happy with the departures. Like, say what you want about oh, yeah. the Bowley regime and how much of a fucking car crash has been. Jorginho, been begging for him to leave almost since the second month he joined because I think he's absolute <laughs> trash. Kovacic, as you know, never been a fan. Always said if you had a Jorginho and Kovacic in your midfield starting on a regular basis, you're never, ever going to win the title. So very, very glad he's gone. Interested to see what Pep uses him for, but I imagine it's going to be off the bench in Carabao Cup. Um, Kai Havertz, again, at Went by other people's word. Everyone told me he was fantastic. I reckon a lot of them just saw him a football manager because I was trying to buy him a football manager and he had very good stats. But again, don't know what he does. Um, Mason Mount, disappointing, but we've covered him. Um, you know, and then all the other players that have left as well. The departures, it's been the best sum of departures in our history, you would argue, because we've gutted players who aren't good enough or frankly just don't want to be here. And um, now we've got young, hungry players, explosive players. We've got pace. We've got power. We've got skill. Mm. We've got potentially, you know, generational talents in like Enzo Fernandez. We've got we've got academy players like Reese James. Um, the only problem I do have with this with this summer is Kepa. Now I like Kepa. I've always liked Kepa. Mm. I like his attitudes. I like his style of goalkeeping. But he's not good enough for Chelsea. And He's the only reason why I think if we got a, someone like Onana or someone like that in, some a good goalkeeper who's solid in all departments, I don't even think they need to be exceptional. From totally honest with you, I think they just need to be a good goalkeeper. Um, I mean, it wouldn't have surprised me really if we went in for De Gea, but he he's obviously going to be starting goalkeeper, and the way I see it going is basically Potch is going to give him six months. It wouldn't surprise me at all if we get a new goalkeeper in January if it's a car crash. But it might also just be the case of like, well, he's on 300 grand a week. We can't offload him for a reasonable fee. Um, 
if you can get him, you know, under Potter, to be fair, under Potter, he had a bit of a resurgence. He looked pretty good. He still mm-hmm. lets in the odd long ranger, but I don't know. What what do you think of Kepa? I mean, I, 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 to be honest, I don't think it's a popular opinion. I, I don't see it as an absolute must for this summer to replace him. I know people believe that he's seriously going to hold us back, but he, he's, he's not a top goalkeeper. He's by no means a bad goalkeeper. And if you're not a bad goalkeeper, that is oftentimes good enough. If we are going to legitimately have ambitions to go on and win the league at some point in time, obviously not this season, or at least I don't see that that transpiring, we are going to need to upgrade on him. But I just don't see it as a priority at this point in time. Um, I mean, the long-range argument... I think it's become a bit of a meme, to be honest, because, you know, you see someone rifling a 30-yarder into the absolute top bins and people are like, oh, another goal Kepa's conceded from the yeah, edge of the box. Yeah, he must be that. Yeah, he must be sat there on his phone thinking, what the fuck? I'd like to see you try and get up there and save that. Like, I was surprised we didn't go for Anana. Though saying that I don't see it as a priority... I'd be surprised if the club aren't, you know, keeping an eye open to the market in terms of available goalkeepers. I'm surprised that we didn't, you know, pounce on that, especially considering we were already in negotiations with Inter over Lukaku and could have used that as a bargaining chip. We just kind of stood by and were happily watching him sign for Manchester United. Now, that's likely for one of two reasons. Either the club have determined that they don't have the necessary funds available, let's say, to get a goalkeeper in this summer and maybe they'll shelve it to January in the summer. Alternatively, they've got someone else in mind. Now, who that is, who knows? Maybe we'll see as the months go on. But I'm, you know, it's one thing having these conversations at the start of June, which, to be honest, felt like yesterday. Come, what, the end of next week, we're going to be on the verge of going into August. And we still have a lot of unanswered questions. We still have a lot of gaps in the squad. We still have players who do need replacing, whether it's now or further down the line. And we just need to we need to act fast, mate, because pre-season will be gone before you know it. And then we'll be kicking off at the, um, at the bridge against Liverpool in the opening day. And I would just love Pochettino to be able to do that with a few more signings under his belt. Because, you know... We know how important it is to have a fast start at any club. And it's even more so at Chelsea, especially on the back of last season, um, because the mood's mm. pretty sour across the board among the fan base at the moment, even if we do have renewed optimism under Pochettino. He needs a fast start, and he's currently not really being given the tools to enable that in terms of transfers for whatever reason. But that was a very long-winded way of saying, I don't think we necessarily need to replace Kepa this summer. <laughs> yeah, so, mate, I, I agree with you because like, it's. Uh, I think Kepa's better than people think he is, but also he's sure. never, you're never going to win the league with him as a goalkeeper. No. Um, bar some sort of a miracle. And he... He's good enough for he's good enough to get us in the top four, I think. 
if the if the rest of the squad is you know essentially making up for his faults. Um, I think reaction wise, he's a good goalkeeper. Um, I think he was when we signed him right because I know he was replaced Courtois in a bit of a rush, but when we signed him, he was. I remember him being billed as this like ball playing goalkeeper. Mm-hmm. Now I haven't seen the stats. I can only just judge by what I've seen. But he's like the way I look at him on the ball and stuff because that's why Potter liked him as well, right? Because Mendy's apparently absolutely awful with his feet. What compared to what Potter wanted? Um, but the way I look at him is right. His distribution is all right. He's all right on the ball. I think the main thing is he's confident on the ball or more confident than yeah. most goalkeepers. But he's not fucking Edison. Or Alisson. No, no, he's not. But, you know, maybe that's an unrealistic expectation, um, you know, to expect somebody to be that that good with their feet, you know, who is a goalkeeper at the end of the day. Edison and Alisson mm. are very much exceptions, exceptions to the rule, saying that Anana is also absolutely incredible with his feet. When we signed Kepa, he was not just being billed as a a ball-playing goalkeeper, as you say, but really one of the absolute top goalkeeping prospects on the planet, if not the top goalkeeping prospect on the planet, probably behind mm. only Courtois at the time. Um, hence the seven-year contract, hence the £70 million fee. And it just hasn't quite... He hasn't quite hit the heights that we expected. Um, but I like him. To be honest with you, Dave, I, I I don't really have an issue with Kepa. You know, there's certain times with certain goalkeepers where you see them walk out on the pitch and you think, fuck, I hope they never get a ball anywhere near the goal because mm. you just don't trust him. It's like when we used to have Ross Turnbull in goal. You know, if Czech was injured and you stick Turnbull in goal and you're like, fuck, they might as well just shoot from their own half. Yeah. Um, but Kepa's not, he's not in that category by any stretch of the imagination. He's a, he's a good goalkeeper. The issue with being a goalkeeper is that if you make an, a mistake, then you're going to suffer the consequences for it in the shape of conceding a goal. Yeah, it's yeah. I think we're agreed, mate. I think we're on the same wavelength with Kepa, to be honest with you. He's not terrible. Um, he's good enough for now. And um, the reality is he's probably going to be replaced. I, I just checked the fee. I, I'm surprised how cheap Anana was, actually. He's 43 million. So mm. I think if Chelsea wanted him, we probably could have got him, which leads me to believe that we've probably got someone else lined up. Um, but also, if we... The thing, is, the thing is, right, if Pochettino can take Kepper up just a little bit more of a level, just a little bit, he doesn't have to turn into fucking, you know peak Petr Cech or whatever, but if we can just take him up a little bit more, and we saw the we saw the return to confidence under Potter, by the way. He was an awful manager. Mm. Um, but that might save us 80 million over the next couple of years that we can then spend on a Maybe. fucking striker or something. So I think, it's, I think it's the right decision unless we came across some amazing young hot prospect who costs us 20 mil. Um, I think to end this, mate, because we've been talking for an hour, there's a couple of questions that have been chucked through on Twitter. I think it'd be good to do some questions from Twitter to get our fans involved. But um... <laughs> Has my um, mum been tweeting you again? Yeah. <laughs> when and why 
did you become a Chelsea fan? Well, mine's pretty easy. Um, my dad's been a Chelsea fan since birth, pretty well, since the 60s, 70s. He watched the, I think he watched the Chelsea Leeds 1970-70 uh, FA Cup final. Um, and that's why he's been a fan. And I didn't have a choice. Like I was in, my earliest memory of being a Chelsea fan um, is uh, Cause being our sponsor. And Hullet, um, yeah, Hullet being our manager, maybe. Or maybe even, um, who was, was it, um, what's his fucking name? Not Fiali. No, it was before that. It was, uh, oh my God, my, my, it starts with a H, I think. England manager. Got sacked from England for dodgy comments on oh, radio. Glenn, Glenn Hoddle. Glenn Hoddle. So I think Hoddle was before Hullet, right? Believe I so, think Hullet yeah. was in charge when when we signed Hullet and then Hullet took over as player manager. So that's my earliest memories, very, very early memories. Um But yeah, I was I you know, I was in an I was in a court um I think my first kit was not the cause kit, but the auto glass kit. Um so yeah, I d I didn't really have a choice to be honest, and I'm very glad. What about you? Uh well to be honest. I I never liked football, which seems a bit mad to say now, but probably not until I was like five or six, because um, my mum remarried. Uh, my stepdad's a Crystal Palace fan, but right. his son, Chelsea fan. So it was really his son who introduced me to football, um, gave me a hand-me-down Graham LaSoe shirt. Um, and yeah, just became a Chelsea fan from there, because of course, you know, I never, I don't have a biological brother. So as soon as I had one, I just wanted to be him. So I naturally had to become a Chelsea fan. Prior to that, didn't like football. So if anyone asked me what team I supported, I just said Man United. Just because that was, I think, I thought that was cool at school, being a Man United fan. Um, but when I actually got into football, it was Chelsea. Yeah. Okay. The other question is players from the past retired who you wish was in our squad today. So if you could pick one player, who would you have yeah, in the squad for the coming season? I know it's a pretty obvious answer, but I just can't get away from Didier Drogba. Mm. A prime Didier Drogba. Because we've, it, we're just rinsing and repeating with so many waste of fucking time and money strikers. And I have absolutely zero faith that that is ever going to end. And I, at, at this point, since Diego Costa left, and I know you have your own opinions about even De Diego Costa himself, every single striker we signed has been absolutely toilet. Um, but I apart think, you know, did he age... Apart from Torres, yeah, fine, Dave will go We're going to do a Torres episode, but <laughs> don't worry about that. My... Do you know, the, the biggest misunderstanding, I really like Fernando Torres, but you, you took it far too far in terms of your defence of him. I had no choice but to block you at one point in time <laughs> over this exact subject topic. I'm sure after that episode we do, I'll probably block you again and that'll be the end of this podcast. <laughs> be the last episode. Be the last episode of the podcast. <laughs> 
Literally closing the curtain on that. <laughs> what about you, mate? Who are you having in the squad? Well, how fits Brozier? Not quite there yet. What did he do? His ACL? Because mm. my first initial reaction was Drogba. But Jackson, you know, from what I've read about him, from what I've seen, stat-wise, highlights, um, his link-up play, yet was it yesterday, last night? He he looks like a... I, I've been so desperate for a pacey striker who can actually dribble and has a good touch for so long at Chelsea. Um, he looks like a player... I really like Brozier before the injury. I really hope it hasn't affected him, but I saw him a couple of yeah, times at the bridge really actually both. live. And um, he's he looks like maybe not a starter, but a really good backup because from what I saw of him, and I'm not an expert, I can only judge him of what I've actually seen in, in, in the flesh, but he was aggressive. He was powerful. Um, finishing definitely needs some working on, but he's very young. Him and him and Jackson up top, and then maybe like because Nkuku's like a cam essentially, right? Yeah, he's not an out and out striker. I mean, Pochettino was saying that he could play either side of the attack as a number ten, through the middle as a nine, or even as a number eight. So you got options there, but he's not an out and out striker. Yeah, so because I the way I see it is, and we're going off on a bit of a tangent here, but the way I see it is, obviously, Mudrick, I see a 4-2-3-1, makes, makes complete sense, going back to what you said earlier. We've got Mudrick on the left, obviously. We've got um, Nkuku in the middle. Um, and then we on the right, we've got um, uh, Maduke, who, to be honest with you, looked really good last season, and I hope he continues. Mm-hmm. Or, realistically, Sterling's probably going to start on the right because he's the more senior player. Um, and then we've got, you know, Jackson or Brozier up top, more likely Jackson. And then in Kuke, maybe if certain games, maybe we play a 49 or something like that, depending on how the season goes. Um, so I, I don't actually, if I could bring a, a player into the current squad, I would probably bring Frank Lampard. I think. Yeah, I'd probably bring Lampard because he brings you 20 goals a season. And I think the thing that we've massively mm. been lacking over the last X amount of years, actually, is um, is goals from midfield. Because you, mm. you look at the players we've had, Kante gets a nosebleed as soon as he gets into the 18-yard box. Mason Mount wasn't quite... He didn't quite hit the numbers we hoped. You know, he was decent, but not, not amazing. Um Kovacic, again, just for whatever reason, can score an absolute banger. But when it comes to like, do you know what he reminds me of, mate? Iniesta. Iniesta is one of my favourite ever players. Um, I think he's actually one of the best players ever. But I don't understand how you can be, you can manipulate a football the way these players do and not be capable of hitting the target from 18 yards out. I mean, Kovacic, technically, you know, carrying the ball and everything, as much as I don't like him, very, very good. How how he's so... It's like his foot, like, goes weak as he swings for the ball, and he suddenly can't strike it, because he can... 
ping a ball. He can ping a 45 yarder. Mm. But when you ask him to like finish an easy chance, it goes up into the stands. I, I would love to know the reason know. from a psychologist. It's bizarre, mate. You make a good point about goals from midfield, though. Um, and that is such a such a tough predicament to to resolve. You know, United done it pretty simply with Bruno Fernandes, but I don't see us finding a silver bullet solution just like that. So Lampard's a good shout. Lampard's always a good shout. You could argue, you know, a, a more defined holding midfielder as well, someone like SEN. Obviously, when fit, when in his prime years, you know, profile-wise, yeah. maybe that's more what we'd need. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the good thing is, in terms of the past, certainly the past 20 years or so, there's a lot of players to choose from that would walk into this starting eleven. That's what's um, yeah. seriously depressing, really, that we've had that calibre of players and now we have to endure. Yeah, well, I think the reality is if I'd gone first, I probably would have chosen Drogba. But also, mm. the I'm optimistic about Jackson and I'm optimistic about Brozier, but I'm also optimistic. One of the main problems we've had is over the last few seasons is chance creation. And we've struggled yeah. really, like we've really struggled to provide our strikers, the ones we did have, um, with a... with a good amount of chances. The chances always seem to fall to the left wingers, right wingers or the cams for whatever reason. I don't know what it is about Chelsea, but all the full, the fullbacks, all the fullbacks. Yeah. The, the system chances, chances always seem to fall to the fullbacks. Yeah. Did you see that stat the other day um, about Mason Mount? Um, he had like, oh, fuck what? I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was something like he scored the most goals of all Chelsea players in the last three seasons. And he only scored 27 yeah. goals. Yeah, I think like since Hazard left, Mount scored the most goals out of any Chelsea player. That that is depressing. I mean, you know, having a couple of years back, Jorginho was our top goal scorer in the league, like seven or eight goals or something like that. Like all penalties, like Christ, you're Erling Haaland scoring fifty goals in his debut season in the Prem. You can't help but think if he walked into that Chelsea team last season instead of the City team, he probably would have scored 12. Yeah, exactly, mate. Exactly. So if we can solve that problem, and I think it's a fundamental problem with the way um, the strategy of the team, but also tactically, like how we set up, it doesn't serve a striker. The, the type of striker it serves is someone like Lionel Messi who can drop deep and then connect. But the way we built yeah. our teams over the last few years... Um, we don't. It doesn't matter who we've got because they're just not going to get the service. Erlen Haaland's a great example. One of the best, probably going to go down as one of the best goal scorers of, of all time. But you know, we've seen him at City. If he doesn't get the service, he's ghost. I don't think he scored in his last yeah. eight games of the season. No, he went on a little bit of a drought. Yeah. So, if we can solve that problem, we can be and the. Basically, what we need to do is be a bit more direct because one of our problems is, again, over the last season, I don't understand why, but when that through ball's on, we don't play it. Obama Yang, as much as, you know, he's, he was a hack of shit as well, the amount of run, if you watch him, he's running in behind. All it needs is a, is a ball from Mount, a ball from Havertz, a ball from whoever. It doesn't come. 
And whether that's instructions or lack of confidence, I don't know. But if we can solve that problem, there's no reason why Nick, the, the, type, the type of Nicholas Jackson can't get, um, you know, 15 goals. Brozier gets five to 10. Um, Mudrick probably gets five. Maduke gets a few. I reckon Enzo Fernandez is going to score a couple of bangers because he's clearly up for a long shot and he's capable. Mm. Um, and then Nkuku's probably going to get, you know, another 10 as well. So, yeah, I think, mate, in summary, to summarise this podcast, I think we're in a really good place. If we can get Casido or someone else, um, we've got a really solid team there, an exciting team, more importantly. And if we can get top four, if we can get fourth playing good football, I think we'll all come away thinking Pochettino's a fucking bollocks. Well, just keep our fingers crossed. I can't endure another season of shite like last year. <laughs> mm. Yeah, mate. But cool. All right. Nice one. Well, look, we've kicked it off. We're off the mark. Um, we are. Yeah. If, you, uh, if you're if you listening on Spotify or whatever, please follow the podcast and rate it. Um, if you're on YouTube, please subscribe. Share the clips as well. I'm going to be putting some clips up on my Twitter. I'm sure Jamie will as well. And um, yeah, we're going to try and do this once a week. So yeah, it's going to be uh, an exciting season ahead. Cheers, mate.